Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I am the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. All right, just a few reminders before I introduce our guest for this episode. First, be sure to register for the CanMed 24 Innovation and Investment Summit before the early bird deadline of December 1st. That's only one month away, if you can believe it. We just announced last week that Golden Eagle Partners will be returning in 2024 with their Capital Markets Workshop that will cover topics related to investing in cannabis innovation. The session was a big hit last year with representatives from several top companies. It's a great opportunity to connect with them as well as potential investors. You can learn more at canmedevents.com and be sure to register today. We are also accepting abstract submissions for oral and poster presentations at CanMed24. So if you have new or novel research related to cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, or safety testing, we want to hear from you. I put a link in the show description where you can learn more about the abstract submission process and you can submit your abstract there as well. The deadline for that is November 18th, so get on it and good luck. Our guest today is Bill Graham. Bill is the founder of Microclone Tissue Culture, a company that provides tissue culture kits, consulting, and training to cannabis cultivators. With hands-on expertise, Bill retailed and distributed hydroponic supplies, sourced grow lights globally, created biojuice nutrients, designed fresh filter air quality systems, and simplified micropropagation cloning, creating microclone tissue culture kits in 2005. During our conversation, we discussed the basics of tissue culture, tissue culture as a propagation alternative to cloning, how mother plants can lead to pathogen infections and loss of vigor, combining tissue culture and qPCR testing to eliminate pathogens such as hoplatin viroid and much more. Before we get to my conversation with Bill, I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Cambium Analytica. Cambium Analytica provides analytical, product development, and quality assurance services for the natural foods, botanical products, natural pharmaceutical, and dietary supplement industries. Cambium is a leading research organization that is focused on leveraging its expertise on drug discovery and method development to be a research partner of choice for new innovative companies in the burgeoning botanical medicine spaces. Their focus on applying analytical techniques in combination with sensory, product development, and consumer research is driving advancement in natural product quality and innovation. Learn more at cambiumanalytica.com. All right, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bill Graham. Good afternoon, Bill. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Glad to be here. All right. So 
let's talk about tissue culture. And I know this is a, a propagation method that you've been evangelizing for, for quite some time. And with the emergence of hoplite and viroid and other plant pathogens, it seems like now more than ever, tissue culture is top of mind for many growers. So, so let's dive into it. Um, and let's talk about what tissue culture is and what advantages that it may have over the cloning that a lot of growers are doing now. So, um, so let's start with that. So give us a high level view of what is the tissue culture process and uh, we'll take it from there. Oh, uh, happy to. Uh, ordinarily, tissue culture is going to be practiced in uh, in four stages. Uh, and, and incidentally, I might just take this opportunity to kind of tell everybody what tissue culture is, in, especially as it pertains to plants. And very simply, it is hydroponics with sugar. So we're using the same nutrients. We've got some uh, special amino acids. Uh, usually there may be um, uh, hormones to give it direction, uh, but uh, what makes tissue culture special from the hydroponics that growers are already doing is going to be adding sugar uh, to give that energy source directly to the plant. Sugar can be directly absorbed by the stem and, uh, and, and surface tissues without roots. Um, to provide that energy. So we can make plants from pieces that would be too small to uh, clone very fast themselves. However, because it's sugar, everything else wants to grow on it. And that's when you start seeing the scalpels and forceps and the HEPA filter and the laminar hoods and the pressure cookers. All those things are to be able to make the growing medium, clean the plant, handle it, uh, and grow it so that uh, the fungus and bacteria and those things don't get back onto it. Um, but uh, given that, uh, tissue culture is fantastic for being able to make lots of uh, brand new clones from uh, a, a sterile uh, source once the plant's clean and it's growing in, um, it's growing in the jar. So the four usual steps of, of tissue culture are going to be uh, introduction, multiplication, uh, rooting in culture, and then rooting back out of culture. But you, uh, you probably already know that I've kind of made a little special version of that uh, to make it easier for, for growers and to make it more effective for uh, a lot of our producers. Right. So at a completely high level, what we're talking about is using small pieces of an established plant to make new copies of a plant. So not too dissimilar from what you would do with cloning, just with much smaller pieces, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in fact, it's funny, I'm actually calling it tissue cloning because we're using tissue culture to clone. Uh, and um, and that's kind of part of my uh, the, the shortcut that I've made up. And that is to um, uh, top veg plants, uh, taking a two or three centimeter uh, cutting off of the top so that the plants will branch, which is valuable for indoor growth, especially. Um, and this is primarily for our, our vertical growers. But works for anybody who uh, is raising plants uh, indoors and vegetative growth. But that's, uh, but that's putting a, a tip cutting directly onto rooting medium, which is sort of a, a shortcut of the usual uh, four stages. Right. So you're taking, so a lot of growers, they're, they're topping their plants, like you said, to kind of widen them and give them more of a, a bushy look. So you're actually being able to make use of that by putting it into a, a rooting media and, and kind of create copies. Now, would that not be a good material to use for cloning traditionally? Uh, it actually makes a bad clone because there's uh, so much concentrated branching in that piece. 
Uh, and um, to take it as a clone length, you're usually throwing away, you know, four, six, even eight good nodes, uh, which is all growth um, that we don't want to get rid of. Uh, uh, typically, when a veg tray, which is about 96 or 100 plants, when it's when it's growing, um, everybody in there is essentially a clone, but some are going to be more vigorous than others. Uh, and the technicians are going to look at it and say, okay, we have enough lower branching that we are going to remove this much material off the top of that plant uh, and leave, you know, is it going to be four, five, six, sometimes eight limbs, whatever their number is. Uh, but that piece has to go. And they're usually just pinching that to trash, pinching it right. compost. Uh, and so what we did is I was like, you know, I, I'm in the facility already to do collection. They're always sending me to the mom plants to do it, but I prefer to go to the veg plants because immediately we can tell which ones are strongest just based on figure. And number two is uh, that it's already being done. Uh, so, you know, this is material I can take that doesn't interfere with any other uh, cloning or um, a propagation going on in the facility. And then it turns out that we could turn it into an actual strategy to produce all the plants that the, that the grove needs and in fact, improve the crop um, quickly uh, by selecting on vigor. And that's where things get really interesting. Right. So, I mean, you touched on a good point there. So with your system, mm -hmm. you could potentially do away with moms and just do all of your propagation off of your veg plants. Is that right? Yes, I am mom's mom plant's worst enemy, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but, you know, I totally get it. You know, um, what's really kind of funny is how we got here. Cause I, of course, ran the retail shops, man made a grow equipment and I, and we used it. So I got to be the grower equipment maker and really mom plants were a, a means to an end. It got us by. You know, as a grower myself, I never did my did mom plants because it was a waste of high intensity light. Uh, hmm. I can get if I'm producing all the veg plants I need for my grow, then I really just need like two or three flowering rooms um, so that I'm producing veg plants every two or three weeks. So I've got all the fresh material I need to cut from. And you know, when I was a, a college gardener, uh, I was using side limbs for that work. Funny enough, that was exactly the same time I got into tissue culture, and it was going to be 20-something years later, I'm not dating myself, uh, that I started realizing, wait a minute, this material that we're pruning off the top actually makes a great clone, and if we're taking it from the very best veg plants, then that vigor, which was expressed in the veg plant it was cut from, carries over into the new plant that that uh, um, culture is going to produce. And we're able to we're able to get all the plants back uh, over two uh, pruning cycles. So if I've got a tray of 100 veg plants I need to replace, I can take about 35 of the best tops first, and then seven days later go back for another hundred or so, so that we can be selective. And in eight weeks, those tops going into culture were going to be the plants that are being topped again. So we're able to short the whole uh, selection cycle down to um, eight weeks. And, and you can see none of that involves a mom plant. Hmm. All right. I'm not sure if I quite followed that, all the different stages Sorry. and the different multiplications. So topping like, topping the to veg plants to make the new plants to, that, all, that ultimately go back to veg. Okay. So, so walk I'm me through the process. I'm pulling up slides while we're talking. Let's say that again. Go ahead. 
I'm pulling up slides while we're talking so I can actually throw these up if we uh, need them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would, that would be great. So email. Yeah, you could do that. Or uh, yeah, I'm just, if, you want to, if you want to do that, I could pull it up. That'd be cool. Would okay. it kind of show the different, um, you know, yeah, kind of it's got a picture different of the multiplication thing. steps there. It does. It does. But uh, very simply, it just kind of shows a veg plant being topped and then that going into a, a, a tube um, on rooting medium, which will uh, uh, grow about three or four times its original mass, um, because that's what's happening when this cutting is in the tissue culture tube. So if we've taken a, a, a two or three centimeter cut and put it onto um, rooting tissue culture media, the uh, sugar is absorbed immediately right through the surface of the stem and that cambium, that green growth tissue just underneath the surface is going to be turning that into uh, starch complex carbohydrates. It's turning it into stored energy, wood. It turns it into wood and you can see it get fat. Um, unfortunately, I took all of my last clones to um, uh, Rhode Island with me and, uh, and didn't bring any back. Uh, I can run over and grab one. Um, from a show the other day, but it's got a little spoilage on it. But anyway, the bottom gets fat uh, with all that stored wood and it gets lumpy uh, because of the influence of rooting hormone. So these shortcut uh, tissue cuttings are root, ready to root into plugs in about three weeks. Hmm. So I'm using tissue culture as a cloning tool so without how, how many different copies can you get from one plant? Well, if we were doing the straight micropropagation where one cutting would go into a jar and it uh, would uh, uh, branch and grow on a, on a multiplication hormone, that is going to be the class of, called cytokinins, which are the opposite of uh, auxins, which are rooting. Uh, those plants will usually grow to, um, if we're lucky enough to get them to branch, uh, to like six or seven um, new uh, one and a half centimeter node cuttings in the period of like five weeks. And that would make that many new plants. You start doing an exponential uh, multiplication on that. Um, and uh, you're going to have, you know, we can have thousands. Uh, in the case of regular horticulture, uh, yep. I can tell you for a fact that a couple of plants can turn into tens of millions because uh, that's what I did with uh, citrosa geraniums. If any of your watchers have the uh, the mosquito repelling geraniums in front of their house, uh, and everybody recognizes them, those actually came from these hands in 1992 because that was my project when I went when I was hired to work at AgriStarts, uh, hired from college to return to college um, with a special one-year project, and um, uh, I did start with just a hundred cuttings from the original stock plants, and those are the parents of all of the citrosa plants that anybody has ever grown in North America since 1992. Wow. Which has to just be in the tens or even a hundred million plants by now. Wow. So are those all propagated through tissue culture? They are now. Funny enough, the plants they sent me were in eight inch pots from Holland, which is really interesting because this was a plant that was supposedly developed by somatic hybridization. The process was supposedly to take this scented geranium and grass of China, strip all the cell walls off, make the little naked stells stick together, um, regrow some cell walls, and then encourage those to grow in culture and become uh, a, uh, a geranium that had this uh, uh, citronella oil in it. 
Um, however, it would, you know, very much a tissue culture tool. However, the plants I got were in pots. Mm. And so that was when I first suspected that they were not actually from tissue culture. Uh, and the second was when I got a mosquito bite when I was in a, a, a greenhouse of like 200,000 plants. uh but i still encourage them because they're really pretty and they smell great and i still have them all over my house but that's that is tissue culture as far as a few plants making many and that's where we really stand today as an industry most of the people who have used your are using your products uh especially the um uh, hlvd testing uh, are testing plants that are going to be dedicated moms and I totally get that. Um, we try to encourage that to, um, uh, to to get away from moms and to try and do a lot of this work off of veg plants for the reason that um, we kind of, there, there's a disease cycle involved with mom plants that is unique to cannabis, indoor cannabis. Um, and that is that, you know, the plants are the petri dishes for everything we're trying to get rid of, good or bad. And uh, things are shared um, in innocuous ways. I mean, it's really hard to move the plants around and clean the tools every single handling. And most grows, uh, you know, are never going to be that disciplined. So anyway, even just air exposure in the same grow facility, everything we're worried about grows on cannabis and the oldest plants are going to be the most exposed. And as your testing reveals so often is that plants that show no outward symptoms uh, can contain viroids, fusarium, uh, botrytis, aspergillus, uh, any of the things that we're really worried about. And of course, they are the source of all the new plants in the garden. And so I, the, the tissue culture shortcut helps break that because the plants that will become the new crop will have to grow inside of a sterile tissue culture tube for at least three weeks. In which case, if there's anything there that doesn't belong, uh, we can usually see it by eye. And of course, you know, um, the medicinal genomics gives us tools for being able to uh, PCR test that uh, and know that the material in the tube itself is also uh, is sterile, you know, just in the course of the three weeks. But uh, that's that's a good start. We can label it as a negative and then follow it afterwards uh, and test it several more times. If for anybody familiar with uh, Segra or any of the uh, uh, companies doing uh, tissue culture services to clean plants, uh, they will be doing the exact same things, propagating the plants and testing over and over again. You know, they, they usually look for at least three negatives um, uh, from subcultures before they kind of give guaranteed um, thyroid free uh, mm. back to the customer. And then it's what does the customer do? They grow another mom plant. They start it all over again. They put mom in the same room as all the other mom plants. Uh, the technicians still have the dirty tools. Even if they're cleaning, there's risk. Uh, and, and we just want to kind of break all that. Besides, if I can turn a mom room into a flower room, I've just made a grower, you know, a little bit more money, right. sometimes 20%. And then if the crop gets better from just vigor, there's another 20, 30, 40% from doing nothing else except selecting on vigor which incidentally is why we don't have corn that looks like this anymore. Okay. Someone went in and said, Hey, that one, look, that one looks a little better. And that's what they grew next year. No. And you make a great point about this, you know, the moms being a bit of a, a Petri dish or an incubator for all these different diseases. And, and it makes sense. They're older plants. Um, and they're constantly being exposed to the air and the elements because they're 
continually having their their limbs lopped off. So um, sort of breaking that cycle seems to make a lot of sense. And one of the things I, I did, I had the pleasure of seeing you present at the Cannabis Science Conference uh, just recently. And another thing that was brought up during that talk was this idea of genetic drift, um, yes. which also seems to be sort of um, a problem that emerges from using mother plants. So speak a bit about that. Oh, uh, this is actually one of the things that got uh, the kits popular the first time is because there are a lot of fantastic growers and especially legacy growers who have been growing uh, plants for 10, 20 years or so. I mean, these are their trademark strains, but what's going to happen in that much time, especially if it's, you know, recycled indoor growth is it sometimes happens that the plants are just not yielding like they used to. They're not behaving like they used to. They're not yielding like they used to. But we know it's the same plant because you do the DNA testing of these things. Well, so, you know, what that comes down to is epigenetics, which is going to be the expression of the genes. Uh, so they're there. Why aren't we seeing them? And why aren't they their very strongest? And there's usually a couple of things. Uh, they can usually be stress-related. Um because you've got a really nice indoor environment. The light comes on at the same time. The temperature is great. Everything is wonderful. If we lived in spas, I don't think we'd look quite as fit as if, you know, we were outside, um, you know, uh, taking care of the land like uh, our ancestors, right? Um, though it'd be worth it. Uh, but uh, genetic drift is going to sort of just be like the plants sort of drop off of what they used to do. Tissue culture is a great little tool uh, for that because it kind of brings back juvenile growth. It tends to strip off some of the methylation um, that has occurred on that DNA uh, in, um, in those nice environments. And frankly, we try to do a two-prong uh, approach anyway, and that is for any grower that's experienced genetic drift, uh, is to uh, try to raise uh, some of the plants vegetatively outdoor in the, outdoors in the summer um, for, you know, like six weeks or so for that multi-spectrum sunshine, uh, the hot days, the cold nights. We can even simulate some pest attack uh, with um, harpin protein um, and, and, and material like that you know, possible real insect attack, uh, wind, all those things like that, that uh, are actually stimulation to the plant. Uh, we, we had several um, uh, lectures during cannabis science uh, about stress and so on like that. So I try to put the two together. And of course, we are going to take uh, tip cuttings from those outdoor plants, put them into bleach water, which is sort of our conduit to getting plants into culture. And that is our quarantine to moving outdoor material back into the grow space. Plant cuttings go into the chlorine. Uh, we clean the tools every cut, which is how we are able to uh, take that small piece of tissue and um, uh, put it into a solution that's not only cleaning the surface, but preventing uh, viroid or any other pathogens from moving between plants. And another one of the things we'll catch up on before we get out of here will sort of be uh, the strategy of taking small pieces to um, uh, hopefully uh, eliminate, to hopefully take material without thyroids and pathogens. Yeah. So, I mean, no time like the <laughs> present. Let's get into that now. <laughs> oh, shoot. This is where we've been using your kits. This is where, uh, th this is where the um, UPCR ha has been. Um, I beg your pardon. That was mostly for our chromosomes, but uh, using um, uh, your viroid detecting um, uh, PCR has been excellent. 
because we're using such small material and we can get smaller. I mean, two to four centimeters is a good working size for new users because the plants that begin to root are a good size to go into a rooting plug mm. and, and begin creating the new plants quickly, which is what growers want. Um, but, you know, as we teach in like our, our master class is that, you know, we'll go down to one centimeter, half centimeter pieces. We can keep going smaller and smaller because this is the cool thing is once you've got a simple setup and I don't know if your viewers can see, you know, what's behind me, but I've got a simple laminar hood, which is not even really necessary, uh, and uh, a lighted shelf with a HEPA filter. And this is my grow chamber. Um, but we are able to, uh, once we've got tissue culture media prepared, we can do plants of all sizes. But anyway, the, the premise uh, I have really just written into a proposal for a research paper is that there, the, the material, the tips are always outgrowing viroids or anything systemic. So all the growth is coming from the very tip. I mean, less than a millimeter of the very tip is the future growth of that entire limb. Uh, and even before vascular tissues are produced. So the viroid and, and so on will move either in the vascular tissues or in the intercellular, uh, in, intercellular space between the cell walls and the cells themselves. Some will pass into the cells and some will be shared with the cells next to it because that's kind of how how cells communicate, but not quickly. It's all passive. And as long as that tip growth is vigorous, that passive exchange is not necessarily fast enough. Is there viroid in the cytoplasm in that brand new growth? And, and some of the work that Samir Poonja, um, uh, especially as we saw at CanMed, uh, was showed in his presentation is that uh, viroids and uh, systemic pathogens are not uniform through the plants. He had that one slide of a plant and he goes, left side has viroid, and the right side does not. It was all the same plant. And where was I? My hand was sky high back there in the audience. I was like, let, let talk about that. Because that happens on, on, on individual limbs. And the more the plant uh, grows limbs, uh, the more likely that's the case. And, um, and especially the vigorous ones. So it kind of, one thing sort of led to another uh, in all of that. But your stuff comes in because we can take uh, a cutting, a small cutting, and uh, actually save a piece of the bridge tissue, which would be uh, the stem tissue going into that cutting. If I take a four centimeter cutting, I can use the bottom centimeter for a thyroid test and the upper three centimeters uh, are being cleaned to go to culture. And if we've got your tools for working on site at that, at that location at the moment, we can know before that plant is even cultured if it uh, was uh, negative or positive uh, on the test. So that's kind of an interesting one that I talked to, uh, we, we talked about it in CanMed, and I talked to Kevin, uh, is uh, exploring the use of bridge tissue for uh, um, uh, PCR testing of uh, viroid, because we shouldn't need much, especially now that you, uh, I saw that you guys have tests with infinitely small uh, amounts of sample. Like we can actually just stab the actual cutting uh, with the tip of a um, a micro pipette, uh, no cutting, no cutting needed, no washing needed. So I'm really looking forward to getting into that because we can now test the piece that's actually being isolated and grown to be the next crop. Negatives mean a lot more if we know that it's trapped inside of glass. And right. We're gonna get a whole out of it. Well, yeah, and so a lot of the talk about using tissue culture to so sort of 
create a new copy that's that's free of HLVD had always been about meristem tissue culture, which I think when you were talking before is that very top tip, um, which you're hoping that the viroid hasn't had a chance to get to yet. But it sounds like you were just describing to take a, a larger cutting, but then test the bottom of it where it had met the, the larger plant to see if there's anything there. And if that's clean, you assume that the rest of the cutting is clean as well. Do I have that right? Agree. Yes. And it is totally assuming. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's not necessarily a hundred percent. We can't test every cutting, uh, you know, cause if I need, if I need a hundred veg plants and I'm doing 135 cuts to get it, that's a lot of expensive testing, but that's why it's called sampling. Mm -hmm. We will do some along the way. You know, I've got, we've got a whole strategy for this, uh, that kind of involves, you know, weaning the viroid out of the crop gradually. Um, but by gradually, it can be 20 or 30% a cycle, and those cycles can be eight, eight or nine weeks apart. Um, if you guys, if you want to know a little more about that, um, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, what we've gone on, because I do this for big growers, and I did it for myself. Interesting enough, by the way, everything that, that I came up with that we shared was developed for fusarium first. So when you all sent your uh, sent uh, your first um, uh, PCR test uh, around um, with Kyle uh, way back when yeah. we were doing gender testing, but you asked right away, they were like, oh, what's the next test we would need? And I said fusarium, because at that moment I had a massive fusarium problem at my place. And so we did this really to eliminate fusarium, but the premise is exactly the same. Hmm. And incidentally, it's turns out to be ideal for uh, viroid as well, because they sort of tend to travel and move the same ways. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're 100% trying to eliminate uh, viroid uh, in one shot, that's where we would take like those half millimeter meristems. And that sure. can take a long time to grow a new plant, but you can. But what I discovered was that uh, on a plant that we might have, uh, that might register positive, because mm -hmm. it, was positive because of where the tests were taken. It was taken at leaf whorls, you know, where everything, the, the pinnate leaves all come together or uh, down in the roots. Uh, and those are uh, either vascular intersections where traffic seems to slow and so they accumulate, or of course the roots are a sink, you know, everything kind of goes down there and stays put. Um, as a testing company, you want to find the greatest concentration of viroids so that you can get the uh, result that yes, this plant has viroid in it. But funny enough, I go to that exact same plant and do my stuff off of the tips, especially mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's been cloned um, and it's on the table and we've got vigorous growth. If we select on vigor, then, and this kind of goes down the type of uh, research that Kevin's doing is that we might have uh, plants that are naturally resistant. We might have a strain of the viroid that is particularly weak. We might have any number of circumstances that just kind of mean that viroid is not necessarily a problem, not only in this particular crop, but in this particular tissue. If the tissue is vigorous, that's our sign. And, you know, we've kind of assumed just making up a number is if we had a a positive plant uh, made into a hundred clones, uh, vegetative clones, and we start selecting on vigor on those uh, that taking tops, we're maybe uh, taking off 20 or 30% uh, that are absolutely viroid free because the viroids will have not caught up with that tip growth. Um, but eight weeks later, 
those same plants are now uh, our clone donors. So plants from the two test tubes that we topped are the veg plants being topped again. And we do the same selection on vigor. And now we take off another 20 or 30% viroid free. So if we start at a, a hypothetical 100%, we can go down to 80, 62, keep going like that. Yeah, pretty much uh, at the end of the year, um, we're in the low single digits getting smaller. And here's the thing is most of the growers who have viroids, as your testing reveals, are living with it anyway. Mm. So we just try to strategically make that the very best growth that it can be. And besides, selecting on vigor seems to make the entire crop uh, perform better anyway. Mom plants, as growers are using today, have been selected on vigor anyway, but that was eight months ago. Mm. By doing it at eight weeks, we can do that six times a year. You know, remember, if you're trying to do breeding experiments, um, you've got Arabidopsis for plants and fruit flies, you know, if you want insects, because we want those generations, you know, flip them. Right. Which is another culture trick, by the way, is we started doing, um, we started harvesting immature embryos, uh, um, uh, fertilized embryos uh, at like two days. So we fertilize a bud, then dissect the flower and pull out the, uh, the fertilized embryo um, and can put that on culture as well. It's oh, smaller wow. than a It's great. But you huh. just put it right on the same medium, you know, a little less sugar, a little less, hor no hormone um, and, uh, and give it time and we can make plants from that. The value being is by just touching the tip of a scalpel to that little embryo, we can get our DNA sample for that entire cross. So then we can run it through PCR uh, and be able to see it, uh, our, is our marker pattern um, mm -hmm. the desirable cross that we were looking for? Because that's how that goes is we, you do a cross and your seeds still go all different ways. Right. And uh, you know, there's going to be a good deal of testing, but we can test the seeds for the genetics and then from culture, uh, turn those into whole plants uh, after that selection. Wow. Yeah, All right. Now, well, this, is, this is where we work together. So well. yeah, I no, don't we veered I, off into a whole different. I don't want to do what you're doing, but I want to, I, I want to keep sharing what we do and yeah, uh, absolutely. walk them right up to the edge and then you take them from there. Excellent. No. And I want to go back to sort of, this this process of continuing to propagate to kind of get ahead of hoplite and viroid. And so as I understand it, so are, is the idea being that like 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 Zamir had had shown in his uh -huh. in his presentation that the plant typically gets infected, it goes down to the roots, yes. stays there for a little while, and then it kind of proliferates throughout the rest of the plant. So is the idea being that like you're trying to catch those tips before the viroid has had a chance to get there. And then you're kind of constantly- It actually moves up and down. So even if it's in those limbs, some of it moves down, the down tends to go down and stay down. Um, it could of course carry back up because the um, xylem, uh, which will go back up to the limbs, uh, is especially active during uh, it, it's active early on for, you know, water and, um, and nutrient salts. So, of course, it's the primary car carrier for those. In uh, flowering, especially in cannabis, it gets interesting because we have a, a, a new shunt, and that is that uh, stored sugar, uh, the wood and, and, and carbohydrates we're talking about in the roots and stems, begins to mobilize it again. So it'll take complex 
carbohydrates and turn it into simple sugars again and start sending those up the xylem, which is when we suspect that the uh, viroid is going to be carried up as well. You know, because, you know, sugar is relatively large organisms. It's obviously meta uh, metabolically driven. Um, and uh, we suspect that viroid is involved somewhere in uh, gumming up the metabolic process. Um, but uh, it's, first of all, we're doing it in veg when those things would not be moving anyway. Number two is just uh, that all that growth is coming from the tip. It's like trying to chase a rocket. If you were in its uh, in its in its burn stream, you know it's going to be hard. <laughs> you know what was what was that very tip growth yesterday is now centimeters or inches higher tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. And considering we're talking about uh, things that are just shared passively, uh, cell to cell, and um, uh, when you get up into growth that high, and then those brand new vascular tissues, is they are often missed is how it goes. And this is where the testing comes in. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I've done this for a while and we were sending in te uh, testing from tips uh, and we were getting so much more negative material. And what's funny is you guys as a testing agency were saying, oh, well, you, you should either mix all of those samples together or let's go for these other high concentrated uh, tissues, which is great again for identifying the presence of the viroid in the garden. I would almost go ahead and say it's there. And if it wasn't viroid, it's something else. Um, but you know, let's, uh, if we start doing it off of tips, there is the uh, greater likelihood uh, that given the plant assuming the plant had viroid in it at all, that we're using uh, material that's so new uh, and it's grown so vigorously that it is um, viroid free. Right. And if we take that cutting with clean tools, now the part about this I hadn't mentioned is that to take that top off, your hands have been cleaned in bleach water, mm -hmm. your tools have been cleaned in bleach water, I actually have a, a vinyl apron with bleachy sponges in it and three sets of tools and gloves uh, so that I can do that. And of course, from talking to Zamir, he said, yes, viroid can live in bleach as well, but not well and not for a long time. So we, you know, it's the best we have. Right. Is to use that, you know, let's, we're not going to ask for trouble. We're going to do our best to eliminate it. Uh, but that we'll be cleaning the plant, cleaning the tools, and then taking another cutting. But that's it. Uh, it if I can, I want to take my sample for the test from this piece on its yeah. way to culture. That's it. Right. And so yeah. if I'm hearing you correctly, so if I'm a grower and I have a plant that tested positive for H, for hop latent viroid, and maybe yeah. we're assuming that we were looking at one of those high concentration areas, maybe like the roots right. or one of those. So we know that there's viroid there. But I think from what I'm hearing is yeah. before you throw it away, you might want to search for a spot on that plant that doesn't have the viroid, take a cutting from that, and then try to use tissue culture to create a viroid free copy. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And, you know, um, yeah, for sure. I would, and uh, above that would be, you know, taking like a hundred or something copies, mm. uh, and testing as many as, as you can afford. So you can have a representative sampling, you know, again, growers don't need to freak out because, you know, viroids in plants are shared by plant juice. It's only juice to juice. That's going to make uh, problems, which is why we clean tools. Uh, you know, think of it like HIV or hepatitis, 
Um, you know, you can you you can touch the plants with your bare hands. Um, you can move pots around and stuff in the room. When the leaves rub each other, it's not necessarily spreading. Um, and we don't know so much about like the the sucking insects, uh, aphids, um, spider mites, so on like that. You know, we those things should all be under control anyway. But uh, um, the idea is that I would take like a hundred and something cuttings and select off of vigor and do the testing on as many of those as you can afford. So we have a representative group. Mm -hmm. If out of 30 tests, we get 10 positives or 20, um, you know, we'll keep the good 10 and the other hundred uh, that we go because you're still in business. These are the plants that made you um, uh, tens of thousands of dollars just a week ago. We'll go ahead and grow them again, always keeping things clean between uh, handlings. But then, you know, we'll test the next round too, where hopefully we'll see, you know, 12 or uh, 12 or so positives. And then the next yep. time, more than that. So, uh, you know, always a valuable part of it. And I would recommend, you know, testing at least 20 of every uh, 130 or 40 plant batch Excellent. so that you have a representative sample. Right. And so this is a process you've used, you've used in the past and it's been successful? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is one of the best parts about it. Uh, it's why I call them buggy guys all the time, is uh, <laughs> um, coming up and saying, hey, I'm doing this thing different and strategically working out ways to um, uh, make sure that we have a suitable sample, you know, for uh, for the testing. Excellent. No, we'd love to do uh, an application note or a case study with uh, some of your success stories. I think that would be a, a great thing to have on our website and share with our potential prospects too. So if that's something that you're interested in, we could do a nice, nice co-branded co uh, um, document. I think that'd be awesome. Okay. I'll, uh, uh, I'll, I'll send it to you as I go. I just put in another um, uh, 800 words yesterday. So. Oh, excellent. It is. I, I, I will get the research done because this is still, we've seen it on site, but you know, science is science. There's a method and we're going to do it properly. Besides, if I do enough of these, I may finally get that degree that I've been seeking for 30. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. I would have had a cannabis degree, you know, if it existed. 169 credits, undergraduate, University of Florida, mm. would not leave school. First, I was growing so I could pay for those credits. And um, and they were only 99 bucks each. So state schools, awesome. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, everything, everything was really kind of cannabis, horticulture, molecular biology related. You know, it's just one thing right after another. I was like, oh, this is cool. They made me leave. And I tried to get a graduate degree, but no one was going to take me because they didn't know what I was doing. It's how it went. And I really just couldn't marry peas or uh, beans or corn or something like that, you know, uh, to get in on with somebody's good graces. Right. Yeah, I'll well, talk we, to the ref about it. We can't get you that degree, but uh, we, can, we might be able to get you up on the CanMed stage if you if you publish that research or if you send that research to us. So uh, it's... Um, it's a decent Max, consolation prize, I suppose. I'll, 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 I, I also promised to share a, a copy with Max Jones. Uh, maybe we can wrap that all up. Everybody's in this game together. All right, Bill. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to share any resources that the listeners or the watchers um, might be interested in to learn more about uh, your process and some of the research that you've done. And um okay. Of course, plug away with any other ways that people can get in touch with you uh, and learn more, more about what you're doing. 
Oh, I definitely appreciate. It. Thank you. Uh, um, I I post the uh, I post all the um, graphics, uh, links to the videos at microclone.com. Um, we have the videos on YouTube under microclone 100. Uh, Instagram is microclone 100, I believe. Uh, uh, Twitter X uh, microclone. We're Facebook microclone. It's microclone everything, and I try to post uh, um, little bits and pieces everywhere. Um, so you can sort of build the story, but the website is the, uh, the, the very best, uh, direct resource. And my email is bill at microclone.com. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I'll, uh, um, put up, uh, resources such as my, um, uh, appendix or the, um, the index of the research that we've followed mostly, uh, Zamir Punja, uh, some of your early stuff on, um, on viroids. Uh, and detection, distribution, um, and uh, uh, anything related to the um, uh, to the uh, shortcut propagation. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and I and before I, when I was getting ready to to talk with you, I did watch some of the videos of the process, and you make it look very easy. Is it as easy as you make it look? Because I think maybe in my mind and maybe other other people's minds too, like tissue culture seems like a very Kind of daunting process that you know you have to be super clean and super precise but um like i said you make it look very easy uh yeah i mean when you if you're, you're going to be full-on professional and you've got you know 100 200 invested in it we'll put up you know the um uh the doors and the pass keys and so on but generally the whole idea is to learn start successfully get all the way through and we do this in that little lunchbox kit you've seen me carry um we have prepared medium in um, uh, the, our, our starter process usually works with like an instant pot or a, uh, a stovetop pressure cooker uh, to sterilize media. Our transfer area is as simple as a plastic storage bin. Um, and we work in a little shallow saucer. The plants are cleaned in chlorine water. Our choice chlorine is gonna be uh, sodium dichloro uh, cyanurate um, uh, pool shock, really. It's 99%. Um, uh, dissociative chlorine. So it's free chlorine uh, and it evaporates. So I love it because we can work in it without rinsing and that's a big deal and we can make it stronger, but we will clean the plants in this solution and I'll actually put a puddle of it in the saucer right. so that as we're dissecting the plants, um, nothing is getting on there. So that gives us a still air box. And then lastly will be some sort of a clear grow area um, where we can have lights on a shelf and a HEPA filter running nearby to keep the air clean over there. So the pressure cooker in the kitchen, a pH meter and some mixing tools and um, a, a real simple transfer area. I've done this at trade shows. I do this in hotel rooms. I have generally sterilized media in the microwave right next to the waffle maker <laughs> in the morning and put plants in that medium before the afternoon. We might have a little more incidence of contamination because it's all brand new, but that's usually for learning. And the crazy part is, is we still will end up with like 50% clean plants right. that the grower will transplanting into plugs three weeks later. That's the whole idea is that tissue culture is a grower's tool they can use in the simplest area and can always expand. It's absolutely scalable. Uh, my, I've got growers who are up to over a thousand clones a day who started with the same instant pot that I'm talking about. Right. It's really just a way to get their feet wet and get them comfortable with it. And then you can scale up from there. That's it. That's Excellent. it. 
That's the idea. Yeah, is take the intimidation out of it. It's a grower's tool. We're growers. Growers innovate. Look at what the hell we did when growing was illegal. You know, look at what we made work. The grow lights you have today, you spoiled youngsters. Um, you should have had it back in my day. Walk to school, uphill, both ways. Um, is that, you know, we, we made stuff from what we had. I was like street light, warehouse light. Whatever you got, we took it apart, rebuilt it so that it became a grower's tool. And we had to make that stuff work because you were not necessarily going to the store to get the answers you need. And you were working in the middle of the night, so they weren't open anyway. Mm. And the, the tissue culture version of the same thing. But go to microclone.com. You can see everything that we use um, and, uh, and and get started for uh, you know less than uh, 300 bucks, get you a whole kit. And uh, my um, commercial people can usually get started for less than a thousand and train several people. And I'm available for consulting uh, by Zoom or on site. Excellent, Phil. Uh, always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, seems like there's a lot of opportunities for us to be working together. So excited about that. Uh, thanks again for taking the time. And can't wait to see you down in uh, in Marco Island for CAMED. Yeah, I just got my discount uh, code from Brandon. Brandon All right. so I'll see you next year. All right, get that ticket before they sail out. Thanks, Ben. All right. Yeah, we'll wait till the last minute, like last time. <laughs> you and everybody else. <laughs> Just want to make you sweat. Have a great one, man. You uh, say hey to everybody over there. I look forward to seeing you all again. All right, I will do. Cheers. Night. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Graham. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to this episode's sponsor, Cambium Analytica. Our next episode drops November 15th. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed24 Innovation and Investment Summit, which is coming up next May. If you like what you see, and I'm sure that you will, be sure to register before December 1st, which is the deadline for our early bird rate. Also, if you're interested in being a CanMed24 presenter, you can submit your abstract. The deadline for that is November 18th. Also, I invite you to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. Just search for CanMed Events. Also, we would appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us reach more people. All right, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to join us for the next CanMed Coffee Talk.